All right, and welcome back to Radio Wasteland. And tonight we have Tomas Pry- uh, Prower uh, rejoining us. You were here before for us for Queer Magic, and now we're going to be talking about Morbid Magic, which we discussed a little bit on the show yeah. and how interested we were in it. Death, spirituality, and culture from around the world. Uh, this is right up our alley. Uh, you know, it's right up everybody's alley. But I guess a lot has changed for you since, uh, you know, you were last here. You got... You got like a French edition, uh, you got audible versions, and then uh, another book coming out, or at least another book approved. Is all that right? It's all right. I mean, you know, the silver line of the quarantine is that it has a lot of people stuck indoors and they're buying all these books and they want (laughs) to buy all these audio books. So Llewellyn's just having a very (laughs) good time. Everyone's buying all the books, not just mine, but the whole catalog of stuff. So it's... Yeah. It's odd. It's odd how it's happening right now, but you know, it's I don't complain. It's I've been wondering well, how many um industries in this pandemic, you know, because everybody talks about all the ones it's gonna hurt. And of course it hurts a lot of them. But I've been curious about which ones it's going to bring up, you know, is it going to bring reading back, audiobooks, uh, definitely some forms of online business are gonna be coming back, you know. So there might be a silver lining for some folks. Yeah. Yeah, Zoom's so doing others. just fine. Yeah, Zoom is doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> How many of us said that we should have bought stock in Zoom before all this happened? Yeah. All right. So, um, Tomas, why don't you give us a rundown of morbid magic, death, spirituality, and culture from around the world? I'm sure we can pretty much guess what this is about, but why don't you give us a, a little more in-depth understanding of what this book is really about? It follows on the heels of queer magic in that it goes around the world, throughout history, every single corner of the globe. But this time it's focused on death in the afterlife. So rather than, you know, how queer people were treated or believed what magical powers they have, this is what did the cultures believe is in the afterlife? How did that affect their day to day? Who are, what are their funeral rites? What are their ghosts? What are the special magic spells to get into a heaven, to avoid a hell? to prevent, you know, ghosts from coming back and haunting you. And it's all that underworld dark side mystery from every culture around the world. Right. And, you know, are they that different? I mean, is human, because, okay, so when my kids were younger, you know, we were talking about uh, race and gender and all that stuff. And, you know, my kids were trying to figure this out. And I, I drew three, uh, yellow circles and I put a blue dot in one of them and I said which one's different and they said oh that one with the blue dot and I'm all yeah but it's like 99% the same right you know trying to make the point that humanity is really not all that different and I really kind of have this view but now I can ask you directly is our view of death really all that different across the world it really is because it's that one question that no one has any definitive answers to I mean Mm -hmm. People have very strong beliefs about what happens after death, but a strong belief isn't the same as knowing. And so it's fascinating to see how all these cultures get super creative with, you know, their own cultural history and trying to explain the unexplainable, what happens after death. And then people are so deathly afraid of it that it dictates their life and it influences culture in and of itself. So it's, it's fascinating in a creative way, but at you know, at the end of the day, everyone's just scared. John, are you still there? <laughs> oh, yeah, I am. You just froze yeah. for a second. <laughs> oh, that's all right. <clears throat> um, okay, so 
It says my internet connection is unstable. Mm-hmm. It means it's going to kill me in my sleep. Yeah. Um, Much like us. So um, when I was reading about this book, I found out something about you I didn't know in the last one. You're a funeral industry insider. I am. I'm actually a licensed Ooh. mortuary professional. Um, what does that mean? Want, right, exactly. Because usually people <laughs> like to throw like, oh, he's a mortician or he's an undertaker or a funeral director. The only problem with that is every single state has completely different death laws and death legal things. So if I'm like promoting this like book and it's like, I'm a mortician, it means something completely legally different in Georgia than it does in California. So it doesn't make right. sense. Well, I just like the very complicated term of mortuary professional. Cause it's, it saves me legal issues. It saves me legal I see. Issues. I see. So, you know, what does that job entail? Are you, um, you know, my wife worked briefly at a mortuary. She was, uh, typing up the death certificates. And then she said she would have a hell of a time going around getting the doctors to sign them. And that was really the bulk of her job was basically driving around town to get doctors to sign the death certificates that she had written up to, to get the process going. Um, You know, but there are also people there who are, for lack of a better understanding, party planners, um, you know, <laughs> and then exactly there are people who do the embalming. I knew somebody who yeah, did the Yeah, you got the party yeah. planners, you got the corpse taxidermists, you got all the people. Yeah. Right. So, so what do you- <laughs> Clearly, do? we understand this industry very well. What do you do there, and do you mind my asking you what you do there? I mean, I don't want to- No, I love when people ask, because I, the, the, you know, my soapbox moment is that too many people don't ask, and that allows the industry to get away with horribly shady stuff mm-hmm. so the more yeah yeah the more about what are that. The goods? <laughs> but um no i love it when people ask and it's what i mostly did was i went around and i did i got the doctor's signatures because no one wants to sign off on stuff because once their name is on there if anything's wrong at all in the chain they could lose their medical license right so no one wants to touch that but also I went and I retrieved the bodies. So I would go to all the hospitals. I would go to the coroners. I would go to the residences, pick them up, start the paperwork with the families. I'd be in the back of the house where I'd do the makeup. I would do the physical assessments of the bodies. Um, I didn't officially do the embalming because I wasn't California licensed for that. Right. But pretty much everything else, you know, working the funerals, helping to set and plan them up. Um, because I spoke, I was one of the few people at the mortuary that spoke Spanish. So I was always called up to the front, even though I worked more back of the house with the bodies. I was always called up to like, Hey, we need to help you translate this. And you're in Southern California, right? Yes. Surprisingly. Yeah. So that really, I'm surprised that you were the only one that could speak it there in Southern California, you know? It's right. It's interesting because I also worked, I can't say the name, but I worked for a Catholic mortuary. So we got a lot of the Latino population. We got oh, right. of the Irish, the Italians, the Filipinos. Mm-hmm. So we, we, that was our niche. And we had people, but we're always, we're always so busy that we could have, you know, five different funeral rangers who speak Spanish, but we have seven different families who speak Spanish that need help now. So you kind right. of just pull where you can. I get you. I get you. So, you know, one thing that I wanted to talk about was what happens to our bodies after we die. Because I tell my wife that what I want is I want to own land. I want my dead body put in a box 
a wooden box and I want the wooden box buried and I want some sort of bush, tree, or garden planted on top of me. She tells me that might not be legal. You know, so what what goes on? And is it different from state to state? We'll, <clears throat> we'll hit the rest of the world next, but let's just deal with the United States. You know, what goes on with our bodies? It it varies completely differently in which state you live in and then which county you live in and then which oh, city you live right. in. So it's, wow. I'm licensed in Nevada and California. So and they're very, they're very different. So in Nevada, if you have your own plot of land out in the desert, you can do what you want, essentially. But if you're in California, you can't do that. Um, and it's tricky because you could, there's a lot of, the unfun answer is there's a lot of zoning laws that prevent you from that because you could own your own property, but the ownership of property only goes so far deep into the soil. After that, it's, you know, the state of California owns that because that's where all the, the pipelines are. That's where all the electrical stuff is. Water you table. Know, you yeah. yeah, you can't privately own that. So how far deep do you need to go? The other question is that prevents Two feet? I'm good with two feet personally, but... <laughs> <laughs> the other question is the zoning rights for it no no one's going to zone allow that in california because even if you do it and you do it in your own backyard the whole community is fine with it how are you going to resell that house when there's a dead body in it some people might love it realtors aren't really happy about that because it's hard to sell a body it's hard to sell a house that has a dead body in it it's hard to sell a house where a murder or a death has taken place so right. there's an actual foreign corpse. It's not like it's your family's corpse. It's your family moved out. How are we going to sell this? That brings property value down. And it's just, so a lot of places are against it. If you live in California, there's a, prog there's a program with the Joshua Tree National Desert where you can do that. And it's exactly non-embalming, just in the ground, eco-funeral, but you have to get on a waiting list. I see. And you have to be approved. Interesting. So it's, a waiting it's, list. How does that work? I mean, what do they freeze you and thaw you out when you're ready? Or <laughs> it's it's a lot like body donations for science. Is if you die, a lot of people are like, oh, just donate my body to science. You can't do that because a lot of the your body has to be right. You have you cannot die of certain things. You have to be certain qualifications. The company has to know. Usually, university has to know ahead of time. So all these death planning things, people have to plan way in advance if they want something other than the, you know, cremation or the burial. I see. I see. But the shady part is, if you go into a modern cemetery, not you can't just be a box in the ground. You have to be, even if you're not em embalmed with all the carcinogenic chemicals, you can't just go in the ground. You have to be in a certain steel casket, and then you have to buy and be buried inside a cement vault. And that has to go on the ground. Why? Because it allows maintenance to be cheaper. If there's a bunch of boxes and coffins in the soil, the soil becomes uneven and that's harder to mow. So, oh. so they make you buy this cement thing that keeps the topsoil even so that the gardeners can just mow over it faster and more cheaply and not work overtime. Which is also why you see a lot of cemeteries with those flat plaques instead of the tombstones tombstones are difficult to mow around which makes costs go up wow. so yeah it's it's all that is that is really really sad 
See, I always yeah. thought it was weird that they embalmed you and then put you in a metal casket so that you would like last forever underground. It's like if you just bury a body underground, first of all, okay, if if you just bury a body underground, how long does it last? I mean, you're saying like, oh, we don't want to buy the house because there's a body under there. But I mean, wouldn't I be gone in like two years? Not the skeletal remains, because the skeleton the skeleton has a lot of inorganic material in it, which is why, you know, archaeologists can find it up. It takes uh, a long time for a skeleton to decompose into the earth. So, you know, you're, you could not be told about it. You have your family. You know, you're digging for a pool or you're digging for something. <laughs> Suddenly there's the skeleton in there, and you're like, why didn't the realtor tell me? Why didn't the foreign family lawsuits start happening? So, oh, that's just Chauncey. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's yeah, totally. Um, you thought he okay, was to the left. If I if I donate my organs, <laughs> sorry, I know this is way off topic to the book, but I'm totally interested. Oh, it's so you got to put up with it. Um, if I donate my organs, do I still get a funeral with a body? Like, do they fill me with hay? Or I mean, yes, how's that actually, um, what they do is. Usually they only get parts of you. It's rarely the whole body. So usually you donate lungs, or you donate eyes, or you donate skin or your bones. The most extreme example is when people donate their bones. What the university does is they do their magic, and then they bring the body back. But where the bones are, it's like stiff wooden two-by-fours in there. So you still have like this puppet-like maneuverability oh. with the body, but it's all a bunch of wood. And so, like that. Ended, so you can have a funeral, you can have a viewing without anyone knowing that your bones aren't there. Wow. Yeah. If I donate my body to science, is there any way to ensure that nurses aren't going to sit around and laugh at my junk? Um, if you die and you go to a mortuary, there's no guarantee of that either. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe I want to be cremated. I don't know. You know, I don't know. What is the preferred way on an ecological? Is it is it cremation? Is that really the preferred ecological way to do this? It, it's a tear thing. Getting embalmed is the worst thing. I mean, they're having problems in Ireland where after so many centuries of the embalming, you know, the body's breaking down and the carcinogenic chemicals are seeping into the ground, which is seeping into the water supply. Yeah. So embalming is the worst. Cremation is better than embalming, but it takes so much gas. And it all like the CO2 goes up. And if you have any mercury uh -huh. fillings, it yeah. releases poisonous mercury into the air. So better than embalming, but not very good. The next step down is water cremation, which is only legal in a few states. I think it's Washington and maybe Minnesota. But it's, you get cremated, except it's with this water lye solution. So there's no fire. There's no release into the atmosphere. Dahmer style. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer style. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. actually kind of like that. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but the best thing is just, you know, body in a hole in the ground. But zoning regulations rarely allow that. Unless you live oh, that's in, in surface. So, so why do we even still embalm bodies? For, it's it's because it's it's predatory business. I mean, I in all honesty, it's let's let's say a family comes to me and I'm like, oh, so you want to bury grandma in the ground with, you know, there's bugs down there. You know, there's uh -huh. dirt in there. Don't you want her to last? You, yeah. You've seen it. You've seen on TV how human bodies decay. Do you want grandma to look like that? And so it preys on fear of what death is, what dead body is. So it's. And the less people talk about death, the more removed we get from it. 
and the more death becomes this boogeyman of like, oh, corpses, skeletons, horrible things, not, not for me, not for mom, no, 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 just have, have her, preserve her, preserve her. Right. Interesting. Seems, so it seems a little like, more horrific sorry. to dig down there in two years and find grandma than it would be to find a decomposed body, but sorry, uh, go ahead, Kara. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, it seems like hearing this, the way we do death today in the U.S. seems like it's subject to a lot of sort of capitalistic pressures that would be the same everywhere is is that the case or is there are there still cultural differences today in terms of the way we do this there's still a lot of cultural differences i know the u.s takes it to the extreme because even mm. in other english-speaking countries um embalming is not very popular um you still have the casket and you have the vault but embalming is a very u.s thing um, huh. You know, we invented it, we promoted it, we started it to get bodies in the Civil War. You know, suddenly they're dying far, far, far distances. So we invented it to try and preserve the bodies to give Civil War funerals. But, I mean, it's becoming more capitalistic in different cultures. I know in China right now, the um, population is growing, space is growing limited. So if you live in Beijing or Shanghai, you don't have spaces to bury. So you do right. cremation, which is traditional, but there's no place to really, there's no mausoleums, no places that can be dedicated to death because land is at such a premium. So a right. lot of families can't go and pay their ancestral respects to the bodies. So what they're inventing now in China is kind of like little Tamagotchis where you have a digital grave that the funeral home assigns you and like taking care of a Tamagotchi pet, time to clean, time to put offering on the grave, but it's all a digital like app. So you can continue the family legacy of you yeah. know honoring your ancestors, but it kind of fills that problem of there's no space and there's actually no place to honor your ancestors anymore. Huh. So it's it's happening around the world. So you push a button mind. to clean a digital space as though you're honoring to your, leave digital your dead ancestors. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Well, that's a weird one. That's going to be a hard one for a lot of people here to swallow. <laughs> you know. The U.S. is blessed with lots of land, so it, I don't I don't see it being a problem here, in the near future. But um, yeah, other places other places are having lots and lots of problems, especially smaller countries or very populated countries. Well, I just watched a uh, <clears throat> a new series on Netflix based on the original Japanese movie that The Grudge was on called Juon Origins or whatever, sure. and uh, she went to basically pay respects to somebody who had died and she went into a place where it was like a library multiple shelves and on one shelf was an urn and that was hers and it was surrounded by you know all these other people who would go in there and pay respects to their urns you know and I thought it was I thought it was weird but also kind of kind of cool and I figured that was a lack of space thing going on there. It is. Japan's actually very advanced, you know, surprise, surprise, very advanced technologically <laughs> with it. Uh, they have these places, officially in the business, all those urns in a big, you know, bookcase, we call it a columbarium. And what they do is that you can go, you have this key card that you're given, you know, by the funeral industry, by the, by the columbarium. And you go in there, you see all the different urns, you put in your key card in the system, pull it out, and it kind of Tetris moves so that it brings your family's urn, the one attached to the key card, directly down to the face level. 
So you can mm. have like a super high up in, you know, the third story spot. How are you going to, you know, ever right. get in contact with that? They have it to where it's just motorized and it moves down. It's like dry cleaning. It's a lot like dry cleaning. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> yeah. That is wild. All right. Well, let's let's talk about some of these ways that other people deal with death. I mean, here we've talked about the United States and how the United States deals with death. And I think we can all say that that's pretty weird, what we do with the bodies and how we do them. You know, it's like, is there anything like cool, crazy out there? Like, you know, I want to, I want to, ideally I'd be put on a raft and somebody would shoot a flaming arrow at me or something like that. You know, is anything in the industrialized world going on that's drastically different from what we do. Uh, yeah, there's two things, especially that like, I, I always love to say, cause there's so much fun. One of them, which is the complete, you know, antithesis to the US funeral is China, very rural China. And what they have is they have um, funeral strippers and it's, so let me explain this, but it's exactly okay. what you're thinking. Okay. You have, okay. You have, you have the <laughs> casket you know the casket up at the front except there's you know poles on the side there's fog machines there's lasers going on and there's you know <laughs> prime time strippers doing their thing right next to the casket during the whole ceremony like it's a spectacular show and you know you think of that and you're like what, what? <laughs> why that's so disrespectful not in china because the whole reverse is that you know, that Confucian filial piety is that you have to show honor in death. And so when they, in the more people that attend a funeral, regardless of reason, it shows that, that your father, your mother was that honored in society. So it's very important to fill seats at a funeral. They look at our funeral and they think that's so disrespectful, you know, close friends and family only. How is, that's awful. Why would you do that to your ancestors? So to them, it's getting all that filial piety out. It's here, look at, look at this grand assembly of people. They're not there for the deceased, most likely, but it doesn't matter. It's this one event when you have to fill seats. And the more you do it, the more honor that's given to your dead relative in the afterlife. Do so kids it, go? What? Do kids go to these? Um, yeah, I mean, you got to fill seats somehow. And Holy it's, smokes. Officially, though, officially, you know, if you want all things being equal, it's not legal in China because the Chinese government sees that as like bourgeois decadence, you know, unnecessarily worshiping death and superstition. So they actually have a hotline, a national Chinese hotline you can call to report funeral stripping um, wherever you are. And then the government will <laughs> down. Yeah. But it's just this is a story that keeps giving. This is just a <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah, they all, the guy working into. the phone, the guy working the phone, they're just all, listen, man, you've gotten a hundred calls and not reported anything, but you've also taken a hundred days off. You know, we want to know where you've been going. <laughs> just be all sweet. I'll be there. <laughs> you know, it's like, how weird, how weird is that? Mm -hmm. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so what did, let's, let's stick with China for the fun of it. Um, what, how does China differ from the U.S. in the afterlife? I would say that the generic U.S. afterlife is heaven or nothing, right? 
It depends. It could be heaven or hell if you're like in the well, yeah, yeah, sure. Heaven, hell, or nothing. <laughs> but yeah, it's that dichotomy of like good place, bad place. You can right, go to sure. one of those. Well, and then right. some of us maybe believe that we go nowhere. You know, there's always that option. Yeah. You know, what is, especially in China, who seems not too keen on religion on the whole, what is the general belief in China that happens to you when you die? I, according to the Chinese government, nothing. Because, you know, it's, it's super secular. It's absolutely atheist country by, by law. Right. Um, but that doesn't stop people from, like, believing in their own things or doing their own rituals. And what's, what traditionally happened was it believed that there was a lot of reincarnation happening, especially when Buddhism hit China. So how a lot of people in the West see kind of like this physical world is like a training testing ground for the afterlife to prove you're good or prove you're bad. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of that same concept, except you, the Buddhist belief is that life is kind of pain and suffering in that you're going to work jobs you don't want to do. You're going to have friends and family die. You're going to get sick. Life is going to be uncomfortable. It's not a happy place permanently. But you can escape from all that if you realize that life is an illusion. It's not real. Life only exists in your head. And if you can change the way you think, you can change the way you interact with the world. So you keep practicing that with every lifetime. And so the afterlife is, did you learn this lesson? Were you a good person? And if not, China had these 18 courts of hell or punishments, which is very Dante's Inferno ironic punishments. Like, oh, you used to steal? Well, you're going to spend time with your hands on a super hot, you know, intensely heated copper column and have them burned off forever. Right. Until we decide that you get another chance to go back into the real world. So a lot of, it's the same thing, a lot of fear, but not fear that you'd forever be punished, but fear that you would be horrifically punished for a short amount of time. And if you were good, you'd never have to suffer again simply because you wouldn't be reborn again. So it's it's very different. So is the concept of this sort of hell, see, even then that's somewhat of a hell, somewhat of a Mm -hmm. purgatory. Is the concept of this hell purgatory um, pretty common across cultures? Not really. It's it's very it's very Christian, Islamic, and um, very East Asian. Hmm. Hmm. So not so much in more in more what we would maybe consider tribal religions. No, a lot of tribal religions have. Um, they kind of didn't want to ask the question and they let the mystery be because again we have this luxury nowadays of you know we have kind of comfortable lives where we can philosophize and think what would happen but when your day-to-day is just trying to find food to survive trying to find fresh water trying not to die every second and you and your family you don't have that much time to think what happens after this because you're so focused on this right they just they were just afraid of ghosts they were afraid of something beyond our power something supernatural is going to attack us so if we don't show respect to this dead corpse then they're going to come back to us so again it was survival for this world tribally yeah so it's like you know daddy what happens when we die and it's shut up kid and keep digging that hole because we got to plant stuff it's 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 actually a famous uh confucian quote attributed to confucius where one of his students asked you say all these profound things but you never say what happens in the afterlife and why you die why don't you talk about that and here's his like sassy response was 
look, you can't even get this life straight. Why are you trying to ask what happens in the next one? That's and, always oh, been my argument. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's always been my argument. Yeah. You know, that we have a lot of people on this planet who, you know, think they, you know, coronavirus is a prime example. You know, we got a, we got a bunch of people and they're just all like, well, I don't believe, you know, Dr. Fauci because, you know, he's just the top doctor. I mean, he's full, you know, I believe Jerry who works down the street at the shopping cart that basically knows everything about coronavirus. It's, it's weird that, <laughs> that, yeah. you know, I personally don't know how my phone works yet. I could be a person who could tell you absolutely what happens after you die, the meaning of life and how the universe started and all this stuff. I don't know how my phone works. We all got one. I sit next to it every day, but I can't tell you how it works, but I could tell you all this other stuff. I find it ridiculous, you know, but I don't know. Maybe I'm an atheist. I'm, I don't think I'm an atheist though. I think I'm agnostic. I think that I believe that, um, there's a cosmic right and wrong. And I figure if there's a cosmic right and wrong, somebody had to say what was right and what was wrong. That's as far as I've got. That, I mean, it's, it's, it's that question that, you know, everyone has opinion to, but no one can definitively prove if they're right or wrong. So it's, right. and people get entrenched in that. So it's, yeah. it's tricky. Yeah, yeah, they do. All right. Well, uh, we're coming up on break here. When we come back, we got Tomas Prower. We're talking about his book, Morbid Magic, Death, Spirituality, and Culture from Around the World. And we're going to address some of the magic that comes with death around the world. You're listening to Radio Wasteland. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, Tomas Prower. We're talking about his book, Morbid Magic, Death, Spirituality, and Culture from Around the World. Um, you know, you got magic in the title. Um, you know, in one of the reviews of your book, I was reading that it said you're de uh, devoted to Santa Muerte. What is Santa Muerte? Uh, yes, a devotee of La Santa Muerte. Was, that, was, that, was this was accurate? It was just a review, so I don't know how it's accurate. accurate. It's okay. accurate. A lot of reviews aren't accurate, but that right. one's accurate. <laughs> um, you know, um, traditional like Mexican folk deity. Uh -huh. uh, if you picture like a deity of death, like Hades and all these other ones, La Santa Muerte is if you imagine a grim reaper, but mm -hmm. a female grim reaper. And okay. rather than a deity of death, she is death. So it's not dominion of, but it's actual. Like it's a personification. Entity, of. Right. Personification of death in a very Mexican Latino way. And is she's she the. Single? What? <laughs> is she I, single? Yeah, I don't know. I just being an avatar of death, I find that very sexy. But go on, please. This is my, You're mocking no, his religion. This has nothing not, to do with anything. This is not acceptable, Kara. Oh no, La Santa Muerte is a very down girl. You know, she like you can you can offer oh, her excellent. You can offer her weed. She'll drink with you. You give her a smoke. You're a long cigar. You know you. The she thing is that great. she's very she's very popular because you have she's death, and the the popularity factor is that death doesn't judge you, because usually in a lot of other religions, a, a deity has an agenda 
or a right. personality with a certain preference. Death doesn't care because, you know, death doesn't care if you're a good person, bad person, young, old, or whatever. Death's going to take you. All right. Death you have comes all these for people, us all. Yeah. You have all these people in, um, you know, traditional, very super conservative Mexican Catholic society. And if you're anything that's bad, you grow up and you think, oh, I can't pray to God. So if you're a prostitute, I can't pray to God to turn a tr help me turn a trick. I can't pray to God to help me, you know, smuggle these drugs. I can't help, you know, all these morally ambiguous things. They go to death because death doesn't care. She'll help you murder someone. She'll help you, you know, find your fix. She'll help you turn tricks. She'll help you find love. You know, it doesn't matter. No moral compass whatsoever. She'll help you. And that's very refreshing, especially in yeah. Latino ma masculine Catholic society. Right. So she's my girl. So on, on TV, I've seen several <laughs> like cop shows and uh, like, like documentary cop shows where they're talking about drug dealers and drug runners, like worshiping, uh, you know, sort of evil spirits and stuff like that. This is really what they're referring to, I assume. It is. It's very, very popular. It's very sensationalized because, you know, there's, there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of different faiths that, you know, the, the morally ambiguous do, but La Santa Muerte is just perfect for, you know, prime time television sensationalism. Right. Here are these, you know, immigrants with drugs and guns and they worship a grim reaper of death and they're coming for you. I mean, it's like, oh, oh, clutch my pearls are coming for me. Right. <laughs> Here. <laughs> yeah well um you know especially in this what's his name uh donny post donahue world this uh i forget who the who the newscaster is that used to have the talk show uh geraldo rivera world and this uh, yeah. geraldo mm -hmm. rivera world you know uh it seems pretty fitting that 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 would be a target for sensationalized news you know um yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so magic having to do with death or or the spirituality of death, you know, here in the United States, you know, we tend to have Christianity, um, various forms of that, and imported other religions, but a lot of them are Judeo-Christian based. Um, do we have any really weird? death, spiritual, magical practices that are still going on here in the United States. We like to think of ourselves as better than the rest of the world. You know, uh, do we have any of that here? We do. It's very fringe and it's very underground. But um, one of the biggest ones I know that I've helped, you know, arrange was, you know, Santeria funerals. And it, it's a whole, it's a whole event because you cannot physically be there as an outside, a non-initiated outsider. There's special, we had to create, they had, you know, the body, we had to put it in special white clothes and we were given locks of hair that we had to put in certain places that was during essentially when they became an initiate, they cut their hair. So it's all this stuff, garland crowned of, you know, flowers on their hair. And then a lot of secret, like, we can't tell you fully where we're going to hold this thing because we don't want to be persecuted. So it was a lot of secrets, get information when you need information. And then when we were there, they took care of all the funerals. We brought it into a private home. We weren't allowed to ask any questions as per policy. <laughs> and it was all just a big mystery. But huh. 
you know what what was later told to me without saying too much is that it's it's contacting the spirits that they align with so their patron deities the spirits that they worked with and it's communicating with them saying look this vessel has died you do you want to be buried with this vessel and continue with the physical manifestation or do you want to be released from this person and find new people in which to help so it's a kind of it's a grief counseling ceremony for the spirits telling them look this person has died what do you want to do we're here to help you but it's all internally contained and we're just kind of like we have to be there because they can't take care of a dead body on their own for legal reasons right fascinating and that's that stuff like that happens all the time it's just not talked about or it's not offered you know oh by the way do you want a santeria funeral no funeral director is going to ask you that because it's so rare right don't don't know how plus it's hard to mark that up you know it's like (laughs) yeah when you yeah oh yeah (laughs) so you know what about what about around the world um you know we we sort of view magic as as a joke or something for children um what about around the world i assume that's not the case it's not i mean it's people are very super very superstitious even in here they just don't admit it but you know you have like Taoist funerals in east asia where when the when a person dies before they can be buried the soul is kind of super vulnerable and ghosts can attack the corpse and inhabit it and use it as like death puppets and it's you know it's a whole thing but so during a funeral all the family has to like play all these dissonant music and like make a lot of noise like ah, da, 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 just bang drums and do stuff because it scares the ghosts so Taoist funerals are very loud very ah it just sounds like a bunch of noise and people yelling and just hitting random chords but it's to scare away the ghosts otherwise their family member is gonna get possessed very right. real fear of that so it's loud grand affairs well that that goes on in some aspects of christianity i want to say with the with the bird, with the birds and their souls or something, a bird taking their souls. I don't know. I get a lot of this stuff from horror films, so I might be making it up. (laughs) You know, I might be making it up, but um, yeah. So, so magic or what we would, you know, it's kind of hateful to use the word magic because, you know, to these people, it would just be spirituality and Christianity to them would be its own brand of magic. You know, but what would we here consider to be another magical usage of or dealings with that with that situation? I I assume. Uh, what about Europe? You know, uh, I kind of consider Eastern Europe to be kind of mysterious. Uh, they freaky Eastern Europeans. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's where Vlad the Impaler's from. There was some weird stuff going on there. East Eastern Europe is very interesting because they're they're currently dealing with you know a lot of internal things, but also they have you know <laughs> they've had a lot of um, forced communism being in the Eastern Bloc. So it's weird because they're yeah. trying. The way is it's they're trying to bring back traditions, but they're doing it in a very supranationalistic way, which might not be their tradition. It's like this forced upon yeah. way because the upper class says. It's the most official way, and it's 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 a it's a whole mess. It's a whole mess. probably not um, too I, dissimilar from China in that sense. Then, where no, if these you, things you, might be outlawed, or 
yeah, because they a lot of countries, a lot of up and coming countries want to be taken seriously. So even mm-hmm. in sub-Saharan Africa, Eastern Europe, all these up and coming countries, they think that if we practice these like ghost funerals or these things to scare away evil spirits and death, that the Western powers won't take us seriously. And so they're forcing themselves to be like the West in order to be taken seriously at the cost of their traditions. That's sad. Um, uh, well, that does it makes sense because I mean they're probably <laughs> not wrong. Like <laughs> oh, historically, wrong. the West yeah. has you know been pretty yeah, prejudiced. <laughs> killing more people it should be just fine who cares yeah 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 i mean but it all comes down to the fact that we're playing with dead things you know true it's it's true what one really interesting like cross connection was if you go to like the the scandinavian viking culture Mm -hmm. and you know the aztecs they had a very almost parallel belief of like what happened and the magic that is used and involved because a lot of people like to think that you know a viking longboat and then you know an arrow of fire is shot from shore and then poof they're cremated that never happened what that's all hollywood oh no because you know like you know if you've been in the cremation business a body needs a lot hotter heat for a longer time to be you know completely disintegrated that did cross my mind like down the down the shore where a bunch of burnt up bodies washing up on the shore and they're all (laughs) where the hell did these come from you know yeah, so you have like the super powerful ruler who, you know, oh, where we want his like burned corpse to wash back up on shore. It's like, that's not very respectful. <laughs> right, so it didn't right. happen. What they did was right. they buried, they had the whole longboat, you know, burial. We were buried in this giant longboat underground. Mm. The biggest fear was was the afterlife because the in Aztec society and in Viking society, the default afterlife of like old age, sickness, it was it was a hellish like realm. It was just monotonous and boring and terrible. And so you didn't want to die. The only exception was if you died on the battle or from battlefield wounds. Mm. So it, it, it brought culture. Vikings constantly want to be out there in battle, constantly want to be fighting because it's the only way to die and go to a heaven. And even when like, ironically, if you're the best fighter, you're not going to die out in the battlefield, you know? So you're going to survive. Right. which is awful for you. So what they found right. evidence of is people, Vikings cutting themselves on their deathbed with like battle axes and like mutilating themselves to like fool the Valkyries that, oh, look, <laughs> I died of these battle wounds. You need to take me to Valhalla. Oh. What about women? Did they just automatically go to purgatory or? W- women in Viking society were kind of like property and like not even talked of. We don't have too much evidence but it's assumed that they did the same thing. We have evidence of, you know, Viking chieftain females given all the regalia and Viking longboat funerals, but they're not talked about too much because they weren't very important. Right, right. In Aztec society, um, the best way for a woman to die was giving birth to a child. If she died in childbirth, boom, instant heaven, uh-huh. instant wonderful afterlife. So, you know, you think about it like, how does that affect society? It, you constantly produce soldiers for the state. You constantly produce babies to increase your chance of going to heaven. Yeah, I wonder if you could take that heaven back if that kid grew up to be a little bastard. You know, <laughs> you could be all like, nah, she's the, coming back, man. This kid sucks. <laughs> I, the, the sweet thing about Aztecs, though, is that just despite how like intense they were about things, if, if a child was born with um, 
some sort of mental retardation or some sort of physical deformity that disallowed them from being a warrior, they're given an automatic pass into heaven. It's like, okay, we understand you can't fight for whatever reason. You just go to heaven. You get the oh, life. Well, that's, that's actually remarkably forgiving for a culture that supposedly killed something like 8,000 people in a day to grow their crops or something. They got pretty intense because, you know, the whole, their whole belief is that they're alive because of the death of the gods. The gods gave their own blood to create, you know, the Aztec society. Mm. So they have to constantly repay that blood debt. And there's all these like, deaths and blood to try and keep the world going because they have to. It's, they're indebted to the gods because of their death. Yeah, so it's, it's always... I had no idea that they were so metal, essentially. That's really hardcore. You know, it's always weird to me, this is off topic, but it's, it's always weird to me how these people come up with this stuff. You know, it's like, how do you decide that the gods bled for us and now we're going to bleed tons of people for them? You know, well, that that kind of brings up another question, which is when you look at the earliest cultures that we know about, um, what were their beliefs like? How how did this stuff sort of evolve over time? We, you know, you can only know so much about prehistory. But sure. it's, it's believed that ghosts and, again, fear of another supernatural force coming at you. I mean, you know, you look at the very earliest times, if someone died, they're just kind of left in whatever position and the group would wander on. Um, right. But when you start seeing, like, flowers specifically buried with the body and the body's positioned a certain way, then you have to think there's something out there. So at the very least, there's always been a hum- very human belief that something else is out there besides this physical world. Something else happens. Mm-hmm. That's as basic as we can get. But a lot of it is something else is out there, but we don't know what it is. Just to be sure it's not bad, we're, we're going to honor this corpse. Because we don't know. So we're going to err on the side of right. ghosts not coming back to kill us. All right. Yeah, well, I've always said that if you're if one is a firm believer in evolution and nothing else really the only motivations we have are you know food sex and fear you know that all the emotions that we have are basically just complex um things built on top of that you know and so if you go back there it's probably just fear you know fear of that could happen to me this could come back is this over you know, because you think about that, you know, you wonder how many people were were buried who weren't dead yet, you know, and who who went through that sort of thing. Because wasn't there something in England with the bell and the rope, you know, so that the people could pull the bell? Now, is this a movie thing or is this a real thing? Oh, no, that's a real thing. Because, even, you know, scary fact, even today, the medical legal definition of death is very nebulous. Like, we don't fully know when death happens and life stops. And so it's very nebulous. Picture even, you know, with less scientific knowledge back then, it's like, oh, oh, they're dead. Go ahead and bury them. But they're just yeah. in a coma or they're just have some sort of like thing going on that they couldn't explain back then. Right. You're to bury because again, there's no preservation techniques and a body is going to rot. And especially, you know, back then, it's they thought, oh, the rot will create the plague or, oh, this miasma is going right. to come up and it's going to infect us. 
So you had to deal with death like immediately. So it's like, oh, he's dead. Bury him. Right. Like, oh, no, wait, he wasn't dead. Yeah. Better, better safe than sorry. I'm curious about the ghost thing, though, because it sounds like this is something that's incredibly fundamental in terms of, you know, burial rites and stuff. Got to keep away the ghosts and stuff. But, like, that's just... Why? Why would people's mind go to this person might come back? Like, I don't know. That just seems like such a strange leap to me. Like, it makes sense now because we have the cultural context of ghosts. But who who thought of that and why did everyone think of that? Why is it universal? I I don't know either. It's it's one yeah. of those eternal questions. My, those my guess, questions. though, yeah. is that it's it's the human not being able to comprehend existence without itself so like when people think of like death like nothing happens after death they think a lot of times it's a blank void like this eternal blackness but you have to have a consciousness to even grasp eternal blankness Mm -hmm. the idea of nothing nothing even the oblivion you have to perceive it so it's just beyond like us not existing it's like oh we have to exist somehow things can't just end yeah no that makes sense but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, I always got to throw in a movie question, and we're we're not too far from the end here, so I got to get it in while I can. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen White Zombie or Serpent in the Rainbow? I've seen White Zombie. Okay, so is there is there any historical evidence that you found? I realize you can't answer everything; one person can only research so much, but. Uh, Serpent in the Rainbow is the same sort of concept that 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 zombies are created through some sort of magic, and in Serpent in the Rainbow it was much more chemical than it was spiritual, and in White Zombie it was much more spiritual. But is there anything to that? You know, on a on an understanding level that we might have, or does that even really go on? It it does well. It kind of goes on, and it is historical. Like there, there's even a whole part in the book about like Haitian zombies. So it it happened, and it's there. But the short answer is, you know, it's it's the ultimate hell, because if you if you grew up in a slave plantation in Haiti, you have no power, and you know how like right. kids who are mistreated mistreat the pets and those that they have control over. A dead body essentially can't say no. So what happens is that you have this power over this corpse and it's believed that if you can infuse it with magic you can have your own slave and you're finally a master and you have power over someone and so it was the ultimate taboo to become the monster you know the slave master you become the monster and you enslave your own because you feel so powerless that you need to have control but you are powerless so the only control you can have is over the dead so it's it's all psychologically in there but they had there's like certain poisons that kind of like put your mind in a fog and make you very suggestible. So that was seen as zombie-esque, you know, again, accidental burials before they're actually dead is seen as zombie-esque. Right. But it's that fear of being powerless and needing, needing to take power. Well, that explains why it came, you know, why it wasn't so prevalent across all cultures and why it's come heavily from slave cultures and stuff like that. That makes sense. You know, I always wondered why I never made that connection before. That's so prevalent there and not other places. And I would suggest to you, if you haven't seen serpent in the rainbow to watch, 
<laughs> you will be doing yourself a favor. Good quality movie, good quality topic. All right. So uh, we're at the end here. You know, um, where can uh, the audience get a copy of Morbid Magic, Death, Spirituality, and Culture from Around the World by Tomas Prower? Let me say that out loud just in case they're searching for it. But where can they get it? Um, everywhere fine books are sold. I mean, I'd say support your, <laughs> support your local bookstore. Um, if not, get it from Barnes and Noble. If not, you know, get it from Amazon. Um, but yeah, if you can, if you can find it and if you can Google either my name or morbid magic, you'll find it. Yeah. So, and we just scratched the surface here. So I imagine oh there's God, yeah. so, there's, so oh, much yeah. more to yeah, and then uh, just All a reminder, you have uh, several of your books out in audiobook, uh, a French version of this book for anybody who's uh, got French friends who listen to English podcasts. <laughs> I'm sure that's a small market, but just in case. Just hey. In case. And, uh, you know, uh, what? what's your next book coming out again, too? Let's cover that again. Um, it's still in production, so we're, we're thinking maybe late 2021. Mm-hmm. Who knows with COVID, maybe early 2022, but yeah. But later on next year, because the process is happening, it's another around the world topic. I can't say it, but it's it's another delve into the international taboo of you know the things people don't talk about, but everyone practices on a spiritual level. Sounds good. Sounds good. The international practice of going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet it's cooler than that. Things that only my mother-in-law talk about incessantly. (laughs) Yeah. All right. You've been listening to Radio Wasteland. Uh, You've been listening to Thomas Prower here. We've been talking about his book, Morbid Magic, Death, Spirituality, and Culture from Around the World. Buy it wherever fine books are sold or buy it at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. Uh, Start locally first. And uh, you've been listening to Radio Wasteland. Radio Wasteland.